Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13 says, When Jesus came to a region called Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? It's interesting. They replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or even one of the prophets. Yeah, but anyway, what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Mashiach, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, well, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you from man, but from my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, Jesus is pointing to himself, on this rock, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom to heaven. What? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That phrase means whatever you permit on earth or don't permit on earth. Right. Will happen or not happen. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that you actually received that? Think what. All right. Let me help you a little minute for a minute so we can set the tone for what we're going to talk about. I'm Peter. Put yourself in, in the shoes of Peter for a minute. I'm walking with the Lord. He brings me to Caesarea Philippi, which, by the way, is called the gates of hell. It was literally the gates of hell where, where people worship Pan, right? Uh, and they would put their babies into this hole in the mountain, right? It was, and it was said that, right, it was that, that uh, demonic things would ascend and descend from this hole in, in the mountain that went down in the earth. So you're, you're Peter, and you're standing at, at Caesarea Philippi, what they call the gates of hell, and you're like, Lord, why'd you bring us to the <clears throat> gates of hell? And he said, well, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia, my called out ones, right? You're going to be part of that, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Could you imagine being Peter for the moment? You're like, and the Lord's like, oh, and by the way, I'm going to hand you the keys to the kingdom that's going to overthrow that kingdom. <laughs> I'd be like, hmm. maybe you don't know me, Lord. Like, Lord, you know everything, but you don't know me. He's like, no, 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 I know you. You know what I would say? I'd say, Lord, that's reckless. I'm not really sure that that's a wise choice. I mean, Pick the sons of thunder or something, but don't pick me. Don't hand me the, king, the keys. Hand somebody else the keys. Lord, that's a little bit reckless. When Jesus saved you, that was reckless. When he gave you the keys to the treasury and the investment of everything that he is, and he, he poured that into you, I mean, at least from my perspective of my flesh, that's just reckless. I mean, Lord, Jesus, go, go spend some time with the Father. Come back with a little wiser choice because I don't know. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Say there when you get there. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called the 12 disciples to him and gave them 
authority. <laughs> there he goes again. There you go again, Jesus. I'm not really sure about that choice. Maybe you should have gave it to that other person. Authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and every sickness. Wow. Praise the Lord. That was good for the first century. I'm not really sure for now, but. Oh, wait a minute. Does he mean you too? Oh, yeah, he means you too. Saints, we live in a time when many are called, but few are chosen. And those that are chosen do not understand what they have been chosen for. We want to be chosen Right. Just to be called a Christian and just to be saved from the wrath to come. But nothing else. We want to just get our ticket on the J train and just send us on to heaven. And in between. Right. I just want to survive. You are mistaken. Second Timothy three one in the CJB says this. Moreover, understand this. In the Aharet Hayamim, the last days, say last days, there will be trying times. People will be self-loving, money-loving, proud, arrogant, insulting, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, uncontrolled, brutal, hateful of good, treacherous, headstrong, swollen with conceit, Loving pleasure rather than God as they retain the outer form of religion, but denying its power. Friends, I moved here a little over five years ago and I've never walked into a, a place that's more prevalent with the form without the power. Every single corner you walk on, you can find a beautiful jack in the box church. Every form, every corner you walk around, you can find Christianity done at its best, but do you find the transforming power of the living God? The percentage of the transforming power of the living God versus the percentage of many we call churches and everything else on the corner is disturbing. And you should be stirred by that. You should know this morning, whether I preach well or not, that you are the solution to that. Saints, when Jesus called you, he did not set you apart just for his father's own great use and then empower you. He did so that you would plunder the gate of hell and populate the gates of heaven. One of our greatest generational needs is deliverance from dead, cold religion. We were singing it today. Did you feel the presence of the Lord partner with you saying, break down the walls of our religion. Break down these traditions that we've held to over the word of the living God. One of our greatest generational needs is deliverance from this cold, dead religion that are just principles without power. These things raise men and women who learn to live with their demons instead of deal with them. Are you okay with that? Do you feel haunted at times? We have been taught to assimilate instead of cultivate the kingdom culture right here in our generation because we think it's some person behind a pulpit's job instead of those of you sitting in this seats this morning. Saints, there is no individual anointing. It is a corporate anointing and it's falling on the body of Christ. Do you know that that's you this morning? Yes. Amen. And those of you who did not just say yes, I hope that you know so by the time we're done today. 
Saints, the day you were called, you were given dead raising authority. Dead raising authority. How long has it been since you practiced that? That means you don't have to live into a grave, live in a graveyard. You could be found in a graveyard. Every man's been handed down an empty way of life. You could be found in a graveyard, but it's call, it's your calling to make it a garden. Yeah. Denton is a place where people's calling you know, pastors come to die. No, 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 no. Denton's going to be the place where we raise them from the grave. Lazarus. Tell them, take off those dead, cold, religious garments that those men put on you and called you dead and come out. We've been given power to heal the sick and raise the dead. At least that's what the scripture says. I'm not sure whether you believe it or not, but it's not required for you to believe it for it to be true. Power to heal the sick and to drive out every demonic influence in your life and under the and the, of the care of those who are under your care. What was spoken of here in Matthew 10 was just as true on day one. When you pledge your allegiance to the kingdom of God as it is now, it was just as true on the day one that he told his disciples as it was, as it is today when you're hearing it. Saints, we have been talking to you for months about possessing the inheritance, understanding what that looks like today. I want to teach you how to unlock it. Can we do that? In 2 Timothy, I got lost in my scriptures. Jesus says, or the, the passage says that the 12 Jesus sent out, he gave these following instructions, Matthew. Do not go among the Gentiles to enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. Jesus loves you. Jesus came to save you. Go and proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those lepers, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Oh, man, how much do we receive that we kind of hold on to and we won't just like let it go? Every disciple of Jesus Christ who has been saved, Holy Ghost filled and fire baptized must operate under the impression that when the father made atonement for you. It cost him everything, although in comparison, it cost you nothing. What did it cost the father? It cost the father his son. When's the last time that you gave up a son? So anything that you do actually give back to the father, is it really given in the first place? What do you have to give, saints? Is it your money, your time, or those? Those things pale in comparison. You have one life. You have one life to give. This is not complicated. One life, whatever that means for you, your life gets to belong to the king of glory. Praise God. I have something to give the king who gave me everything. I have this life. What you received, you received free of cost to you. And now he says, this is what he says. Listen, because you understand that, because many of us do. If you don't, we can talk about that today. Because of that truth, that reckless truth, 
As you go, this is what you say. The kingdom of light is now in collision with the kingdom of darkness. That's your message. Any of you ever feel like you don't have anything to say? I'm not really sure I want to go to evangelize. I don't know what I'm going to tell them. Tell them, hey, friend, the kingdom of God is on collision with the kingdom of darkness. You should denounce your allegiance to the kingdom of darkness and pledge your allegiance to the kingdom of light because whether you like it or not, the kingdom of light is overthrowing the kingdom of darkness. And when you do that, you'll be saved. And this is how you live. This is what you say and this is how you live. Heal the sick when you see them. Raise the dead when it's necessary. Cleanse the leper at all costs and cast out demons when they simply get in your way. All those Holy Ghost hunters around here hunting demons all the time. Friends, you don't need to hunt demons. They will be attracted to you when you start making movement into the kingdom. And when they come in your way, you simply put them under your foot where they belong. Verse 9, do not get any gold or silver or copper and take it with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or an extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker's worth is keep, Jesus says. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay in their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If, somebody say if. If, if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. Take it with you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off of your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that town. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. So you want me to heal the sick, but not buy them any medicine? You want me to raise the dead, but not increase my insurance rates? You expect me to cleanse the leper instead of quarantine my family? You want me to tell people that they must denounce their allegiance to their comforts and their lifestyles and their political parties? Jesus, how exactly do you think that's going to go for us? Oh, well, verse 16, uh, well, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard, for you will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and witnesses and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, not if they arrest you, when they arrest you, do not worry about what you what you'll say or how you'll say it at that time. I'll give you what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brothers, brother. You're going to portray one another. That's going to be a truth inside of the body of Christ at some point. Maybe even for you, brother will betray brother and father against child uh, and a father, his child and children will rebel against their parents and and even have the children will have their parents put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, 
Listen, simply flee to another. Wow. Wow. Verse 24, the student is not above his teacher, nor the servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like his, their, it is enough for students to be like their teacher and a servant like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, that is the Lord of flies, the devil himself, how much more the members of the household? You haven't seen nothing yet in America, right? You're in an information war, disinformation war, where people put out information and you think that's the truth. And the Lord allows it because it tests you. It increases and teaches you actual discernment. What is true and what is not? Do you simply let what's going into your ear gates be thought of as truth just because every single channel is talking about it? Hmm. Verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my father in heaven. <laughs> That's a test. Wait. Jesus is saying, listen. Your whole life is a test. A test for what? How you live now and the choices that you make determine how and where and what you'll be doing in eternity. Did you understand that? We're not going to teach on that today, but I just wanted to remind you. Verse 33. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. So do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace. But I came to bring a sword for I have come to turn a man against his father and daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemy will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Listen to this in verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Friend, there's no better time to be alive. King Yeshua was painting a picture of what was to come, starting with his disciples and now including you in these last days. We live in a generation that has redefined peace, have we not? We live in a generation that has reduced the cost of following Jesus to something that is more manageable. And a time when we have retrofitted the gospel to something that is more palatable to our flesh. But the words of our commander in chief remain the same. If somebody say if, if we want to find, if we want to experience and live the life Jesus purchased for you, you must lose your current one. Notice I said current, not the one that you were 10 years ago, not the one that you were five years ago. Every day, all day, each day, the, the command remains the same. That's true the first time that you stood at a crossroads, and it is true today. And it'll be true many times over. Saints, whoever finds their life will do so because they risk the current one on whether Jesus was telling the truth or not. If, in order to find your life, you must risk your current one on whether Jesus is true. Every time. You'll come, you'll go, you'll come to that crossroads many times over. <laughs> hmm. so Jesus you're saying that you want me to create conflict in my family if that's what's necessary to prioritize you yes 
You want me to give away all my money for the advancement of the gospel? Yeah, just keep enough for you to eat and have a roof over your head. But even that's not really necessary, but I mean, whatever. Jesus, you want me to destroy people's illusions that they call truth and annihilate their excuses that they're hiding behind? Yes. You want me to let the word of God define peace, not the world define peace for me? Jesus, you want me to look radically different than everyone else in the world? Yes, saints, you are sheep, not cattle. And cattle are led into herds wherever their master tells them to go. Do not go with the masses. Jesus, <laughs> that's reckless. Friends, when I fell in love with Jesus, I, the first thought I had was, why in the world would you even choose me? When I fell in love with Jesus, the next thing that happened was, whatever I just encountered, I'm going to reciprocate. And what I encountered was a reckless love. What I encountered was something I didn't understand. It was not orthodox. It was not one, two, three. It was like, I don't understand this, but I'm coming after you, Lord. All I knew how to do was to reciprocate what he had poured out to me. All I knew how to do is to do what he just showed me. And how I, and how I was impacted by that was in a reckless way. Saying, what is Jesus trying to teach us in these first passages that we're talking about today? He has called you to live a reckless abandonment in order to unlock everything that he has for you. Today's message is a reckless anointing. A reckless anointing. Somebody say, a reckless anointing. Do you know that when you received what you received from King Jesus, you received what he was. And if you will read your Bible, you will figure really quick that the culture that he entered needed some correction because they had created their own status quo that they called God. And when he showed up, he's like, no, 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 friend. This is just too dignified. A reckless anointing. Have you ever noticed that the thing that Jesus has asked of you time and time again is just a little bit unorthodox? A little bit crazy? And maybe even comes and looks like reckless times? Yeah. If not, then you, you still have the form without the power. But if so, you understand what I'm talking about this morning. Saints, lawless times call for reckless men. Lawless times call for reckless men and friends. You live in lawless times. Well thought out, calculated and measured men are not what this generation needs. It needs men and women who are so in love with Jesus, so in love with his word, so in love with advancing the kingdom. So in love with seeing restoration come to the broken that they will recklessly abandon this life to experience his. When you give your life to King Jesus, you receive a reckless anointing for a lawless generation. Is this how the world perceives your love for God, saints? 
when somebody talks about your life, when the world in general, when I say the world, you define them as such. You know what I'm talking about. When the world defines your life and your love for Jesus, would they call it reckless? Because any generation that has witnessed the Reformation has been marked by men who are called reckless. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 9. Say reckless when you get there. Anybody got a chapter heading? Man. Jehu anointed. King of Israel. Let me just help you out for a minute. Jehu was a God-given man to the people of God in a wicked time. In a time where the government, leadership, and everything else were in control of God's people. And what was happening was not pleasing to the Father. Jehu was a God-given man. Jehu was a chosen man. And Jehu was a reckless man. 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 1. We're going to go past nursery, nursery school today. Is that okay? We're going to go past Sunday school. Break your extended adolescence and treat you like the mature men and women of God that you are. Second Corinthians 9, chapter 1. For the prophet Elisha summoned a man from the company of the prophets and said to him, Tuck your cloak in your belt. Take this flask of olive oil with you and go to Ramoth Gilead. When you get there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Go to him. Get him away from his company from his companies and take him into an inner room. Then take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, this is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run. Don't delay. <laughs> you ever feel like that? The Holy Spirit gives you a word and you're like, comes and goes really fast. Yeah. So the young prophet went to Ramoth Gilead. When he had arrived, he said he found the army officers sitting together. I have a message for you, commander, he said. For which one of us, asked Jehu. For you, commander, he replied. So Jehu got up and he went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you, over, I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. For you are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all of the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha. <laughs> that looks like Basha, doesn't it? Right? The son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of the ground of Jezreel. And no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and he did what the Lord told him to do. He just ran away. That's a whole nother message. Wow. And when Jehu went out, of, out to his fellow officers, one of them asked him, is everything all right? Why did this maniac come to you? 
You know the man and the sort of things that he said, Jehuza replied. That's not true, they said. Tell us. <laughs> it's like vacillating. Jehu said, here is what he's told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. And so they quickly took the cloaks and they spread them under him and on bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and they shouted, Jehu is king. That's an interesting story on several levels. Saints in 2 Kings 9, it is very much like the times Jesus said we would have to endure. And also filled with men who possess the same spirit that you are required to if you want to see your family, if you want to see you, if you want to see those coming behind you experience the supernatural, somebody say supernatural, the supernatural life of the inheritance that God has given to you in the land of the living. For too long you've been taught to wait till heaven to receive everything that King Yeshua is. But he said, now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time. Wow. Is anyone left here this morning that's ready for a reckless abandonment? Anybody in here willing to say that I am ready to recklessly abandon my life that I might see the love of God recklessly move in this land? Saints, this man Jehu's name meant Yah is he. Or another way you could say it is he is like God. Sometimes when you say, hey, that's a man of God over there. That's a woman of God over there. Right. Or that person is acting like King Jesus or we are Christians like Christ. Right. Jehu name it. He's like God. Jehu was just like you. He lived and he fought under the flag of Israel that claimed peace, but were actually embroiled in constant military conflict, just like you live in the United States. They tell you one thing with something else is actually going on. The political climate was divided. Increased economic inflation and hardship were the result of weak leadership. Corruption, idolatry in the land. And it caused the people to call for a regime change. But without God's intervention, there was none to be found. Praise the Lord that he always wants to intervene no matter how dark of the day. So God in his mercy and faithfulness calls out and he anoints a man named Jehu. Somebody say Jehu. Jehu. A man who the scripture portrays as reckless. Anybody, anybody feel like the Holy Spirit at time make you want to be a little reckless and you're not really sure? I need to go pray about that. Ask somebody about that. Seek the word for that. I want to ask you to ask yourself something this morning. What will it take to wake up this generation? What will it take to wake up this generation? What does it look like for this generation that's been lured to sleep spiritually? What will it take to wake them? Saints, they need a shaking. They don't need somebody to whisper, it's time to get up. It's time. It's time. Jesus loves you. Get up. That's, that's what Jesus said to Lazarus, did he? He called out in a loud voice and he said, come out. What will it take for a people who has been seduced by the spirit of Jezebel to break the chains of her seduction? 
What does it take? It's going to take a people who are marked by the world and called by the world reckless. Jehu was that, and so are you. Jehu was what that generation called reckless because that's what that generation must have. You don't have to turn there, but in chapter 9 and verse 20, if you look down for a minute, it said that when people saw Jehu coming, it said that Jehu, he drove like a maniac. They saw him from afar. He didn't have to be close. They didn't have to really know him. They just knew his ways. They knew that when he was coming, he came recklessly. Anyone of you know a person who drives like a maniac in this house? They got a few with the last name Hutchinson in this place. Even the married Hutchinsons. I mean, got that name by marriage. Drive recklessly. Anyone of you know someone who lives like they drive? Anyone of you know someone who lives like they drive and drive like they live? Anyone of you know who lives a life, how they drive and drive like Jehu? Saints Jehu was reckless by nature and God said, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. I don't need a three-piece suit and a fine orator. I need someone who's recklessly in love with the king of glory and does not care what men think. Why? Because all of the well-spoken priests have become politicians and all of the calculated men have become hirelings. I need men and women who are DCD. I need a man who doesn't care a damn about this temporary world. I need a man in light of eternity, lives for eternity, understanding that this life is fleeting and all that I do that matters is what I do for King Jesus. Saints, it's time that we take our life over, off of autopilot and live a little. You're so afraid of what other people are going to think about you. The only thing you should care about is what the king of glory thinks about you. Saints, that's so freeing. Because the times we live in are like the times of Jehu. Second Kings chapter 9, verse 6. Jehu got up and he went out of the house. Then the prophet poured oil on Jehu's head and he declared, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anoint you king of the Lord's people. You are going to destroy the house of Ahab. You're going to avenge the blood of my servants and my prophets. Verse eight, and the whole house of Ahab is going to perish. And I'm going to cut off Ahab from even to the last male. Verse nine, and I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, dogs are going to devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel. And no wonder will bury her. Wow. Saints Jehu was anointed for what we call generational ministry. Y'all know about that? How many of you had family, families that have had issues since great grandma, grandma, and then to you, right? Great, great, great grandpa, and then great grandpa, and then grandpa, and then now you. And you're really concerned about whether or not those things are going to fall upon you as well. Well, this is what Jehu was called to. 
right? Ahab had, Ahab had set up at least four generations of wickedness. And now Jehu was about to bring in four generations of righteousness. But what would it take in between? It takes some recklessness. He was, Jehu wasn't called to take down just the house of Ahab. Jehu was called to take down a generation after generation after generation of wickedness. And he was a man who was, who was going to take the hit no matter the cost. And he would not stop until he got it. How many are ready to do something about those generational things? This is what Jehu was anointed to do. He was not going to stop at the surface things. He was going to keep on moving until he got to the bottom of it. Doesn't that sound like Matthew 10, 34, when Jesus says, do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does that even mean? Nobody ever tells you about these things. You just think, oh, that must have been like just why he was alive. No, no, no. He was a lamb when he came. And he'll be a lion when he comes. And in between, you are the sword in the father's hand. Nobody wants to undergo surgery, do you? I was like, that's not just like, I just can't wait till I go undergo surgery, right? Until you have a brain tumor that's affecting you and your entire family. Then the desire changes. All of a sudden, something else changes. Right. When it starts to affect the quality of life for you and it starts to affect the quality of life for your family, your desire starts to change. Your courage starts to rise and say, listen, you can cut off my head as long as it removes the problem. Yeah. Jehu was a scalpel in the hands of a great physician. Jehu was called out. Jehu was anointed. Jehu was commissioned to break through generational principalities that enslaved the entire family of Israel. And so are you. Jehu was called out not by Elijah. Jehu was called out not by Elisha. Jehu was called out by a nameless, faceless disciple of Elisha. Jehu was called out to be to, to a reckless abandonment of whatever things were comfortable. This man was well paid, well positioned. In the armies of Ahab and Jezebel, he was in a beautiful spot for his own personal life. What happened? The, the, the voice of the Lord happened. You ever been there? You got a good job. Things are comfortable. You're in a good place. And the Lord comes to you and says, that's awesome, but I want you to live for something bigger than you. And you can't do it from this position. You're going to have to get a little reckless so you can do it from another position. So I'm going to ask you to step out of that position, get a little reckless, because at the end of it, it's going to meet a couple generations for you instead of just yours. Wow. Do you know that was for you, not just for Jehu? Since you have been called out by God and no longer live a life for yourselves. We love to say that as Christians because it sounds good and it really makes me feel good. I live for Jesus. No, no, no. If you don't live for something bigger than yourself, outside of yourself and for other people, you're not living for Jesus. Jehu was called on and anointed by God to establish peace by making war, by creating conflict. It's the only way to get to actual biblical peace. Jehu, the Lord says to Jehu, like, you're anointed to remove 
passive pansy leadership, which was personified as Ahab from its high place. Jehu, you are anointed to remove the puppeteering spirit of Jezebel who preys on weak-willed men, spends her life on silencing the prophetic voice of God in the land and raises up impotent, sterile leaders to put in places of authority that you get to live under. Jehu lived in a lawless time, just like you live in a lawless time. Jehu lived in a lawless time and a lawless time calls for reckless faith. The, the blanket principality over the region that you live in is one that tries to lay on you like a warm blanket in winter when it's cold outside and you just want to get under the, under the blanket and snuggle a little bit, right? With those you love. I just, it's so cold outside. Yeah, it's cold outside. I just want to, somebody send me a blanket. Okay, cool. The enemy's like, here you go. Right? You feel that warmth? Receive it. Right. Stay there. Do nothing. Get stay in bed all day. Don't do anything with what's been given to you. You own the whole inheritance, but just stay in bed today. Jezebel. Wow. Reckless faith. Nothing else works. The things you find very difficult in the kingdom are not so difficult when you have already been recklessly abandoned to the will of God. If you have not, it's why most of the things are difficult for you. Are you getting this? When you live a daily life of recklessly abandoning yourself to the will of God, when the big things come, you're like, that's no problem. I've been doing sit-ups for this. I got this, right? I'm training in peacetime, right? Because when wartime comes, I'm ready to go. Saints, God needed a man that would hear the command of the Lord once. Count the costs of the Lord once. How many times have you counted the cost? Jesus taught you to count it once and then follow him, not follow him and keep counting it. That is a manifestation of unbelief. That is a manifestation of mistrust. Jesus did not teach you that. You taught you that. Jesus is looking for, and the Lord's looking for in our generation, men who hear the voice of the Lord once. He needs not shout at you. He can whisper if you're close enough. If I got to speak to my children three times, right? That's two times too many. But how many of us try to, Lord, give me a confirmation. Give me another word about what you already said. <laughs> wow. I don't know if we're getting this this morning. Listen, Jehu was a man who did not care about what it cost or what it took to get what God had told him belonged to God. Right? Let's see who's where it was. Jen, come up for a minute. Right? Quickly, please. Me a couple of sons in the house of God. Dylan. Tikio, come here. Dylan Hutchinson, come here. Right? Jen, you go stand over there by Lorena. You, you two stand right here, right? Listen, the day that I laid eyes on Miss Jen, whoo, that, that was a day right there, right? <laughs> I tell a story till today, right? 
I, I was in my car, had my shirt off, boom, boom, you know. <laughs> Met her, and I'm like, that, that's what happened to her. That's how, you know. She's like, oh, that's it. No. <laughs> I was much, much younger. Yeah. I saw her. I talked with her. I'm like, mm, that's going to be my wife right there. Right? She wrecked my heart. She didn't know it. But she wrecked my heart. And in turn, I'm like, oh, that's how I'm coming after you. I don't care. You got a boyfriend? I don't care. Got a boyfriend? That, how long you had that problem? I'm about to fix that. <laughs> right? That's reckless. Right? I don't care about the confrontation that it'll take to get her. I'm going to get it. <laughs> Anybody else feel like that about their loved ones in this place? Because you need to. Anyone of you feel like that about King Jesus and the will of God in your life? Because this is the times that we live in. This is the times that Jehu lived in. And God knew that that man would get up and he'd go get what was his. He didn't, he didn't care what stood in front of him. And there was a lot that stood in front of him. Right? Reckless looks like I'm going to get that. I don't care how much confrontation it takes. I don't care how much resistance it takes. Watch, it looks like this. Right? Don't let me get some smaller guys <laughs> I won you saw that it's on camera what's your love look like for King Jesus when he chose you, he qualified you. When he chose you, he knew what he was getting. He, when he chose you, it didn't look wise to the world. I wouldn't have chosen me, but he chose me. That wrecks me. I wouldn't have chosen me. Choose someone better, Lord. I've had to answer that call a hundred times over. Why'd you choose me, Lord? I have no clue, but I'm going to follow you. Why do you want me to preach and teach these people? They're all smarter than me and more talented. Doesn't matter. I chose you. That wrecks me. What does your love look like? Is it reckless? Who told you that it was supposed to be dignified? Who told you it's supposed to be like this and this time you go to church and you read these scriptures and you pray this much and you go to this particular type of church and you dress this way and you walk this way. And when you get around those people, you talk this way. But when you walk out of the door, you can talk however the hell you want. Who cares? Who told you these things? There is something that you can't see that's trying to conform you. And the Lord knows that. And he wants that broken in this region, broken in this people, broken in this place that we might live free. Yeah. Now that you know who you are in Christ, do you know what it takes to win? 
Isaiah 50 verse 7 says, because the sovereign Lord helps me. Anybody helped by the sovereign Lord? Then this scripture is talking to you. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. Know what that looks like? It looks like what you just saw. They're not going to stop me. I don't care the harm that comes to me. I don't care what confrontation happens between here and there. What matters is me getting there. And and I know I will not be put to shame. (laughs) He who vindicates me is near to me. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Take that adversary. Take that accusation. Let us face each other. Who's my accuser? Let him confront me. Man, people tell me about me all the time. I said, listen, deal with Jesus because he chose me. I know my failures and I know that they're not final. I know that they're a great opportunity for King Jesus to show himself through me when I get up and you see me do that. And you don't know how it happened. It was because of him. Let them confront me. (laughs) It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. It's his fault. Who will condemn me? It will all wear out like a garment. My mama used to say, listen, if you're going to get in a fight, don't come home until you won. If you're going to get in a fight and some bully picks on you, you say, you better bring your lunch because it's going to take all day. That's good mama right there. She didn't say not fight. She said, this is how you fight. That's biblical. That's biblical proportions or whatever. Saints, when you... When you were anointed by God, you were anointed with some Holy Ghost grit. It's in there. Whether somebody taught you or not, it's in there. It's gold, and I'm going to bring it out. Saints, if you want to win, do you want to win? If you want to win, you must set your face like flint. That meant like an arrow that was made of a flint rock being propelled into darkness until it hits its target. Hebrews 12, 1 says it like this. Therefore, since you were surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, for all you lonely ones in there to have no family of God, you now have one. You're surrounded by all kind of witnesses of what we're talking about today. Let us throw off everything that hinders, whether it's a 225 pound man or whatever y'all are, right? Or a scrappy 190 pound man, whatever he is. Throw them off. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so, in, it so easily entangles you. You know what the sin is? The sin is you don't believe this is who you are. And let us run a race with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider him. Consider him. Consider him who endures such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The enemy's trying to wear you out and he's trying to make you quit. Don't quit. Saints, when you were filled with the spirit of God, you were filled with the wind of the spirit and the wind of the spirit is always on the move. So when you're stagnant, you're not in moving and moving with the spirit. Jehu was like God because Jehu was like Jesus. If you want to win, do you want to win? 
If you want to win, you must persevere through every pressure. You must throw off every wicked web by fixing your eyes on the prize. When you turn to the left and right, it does not help you. It harms you. Jesus finished his race because his eyes were fixed on you and you will finish your race when you fix your eyes on him. Revelation 12, 10 says this, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, now, now I can hear it echoing. Now, 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 now is the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his, of the, of his Christ. They have come for the accuser of the brethren have, have been thrown down who accuses them day and night before I got, you ever hear those voices of accusation? Hello, because they're not in the heavens. They come from the earth. They don't come from the heavens. Let that sit for a minute. They come from the earth where the enemy is just placing them into your mind. And they have conquered him, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto the end. They love not their lives even unto death. I wonder how many of you are so still afraid of death that it's causing your daily life not to be able to live. Saints, the anointing Jehu received is the same anointing you received. Did you know that? You didn't know that. Good. By the time you're done, at least you'll know that. In order to find your life, you are going to have to recklessly abandon living, holding on to it. Because when the time comes, will you be ready? Those who love, life, those who love not their lives until death become that way by living their everyday lives in reckless pursuit of a purifying life that purifies the idolatries that govern God's people. This is what you're about to see. When you were saved, it was not just an evolution and you kind of slipped into the kingdom. That isn't biblical. You were either radically saved or you were not. Either your mama could tell or it did not happen. Either you're the same old person made better or you are brand new creation. If I turned into a fish right now, you'd go, I saw that. Either you're a brand new species or you're just a good old boy made better. Just a sinner saved by grace. No. You're a saint, a son of the living God. Or you're still struggling and waddling in your sin. Wow. When you got saved, you were emptied. The Lord came in. Jesus came in. He cleaned your house. He cleared temple and he made room for you to radically receive the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And either you radically receive the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. Right. Or you're still an empty house. Begging him to come in. Oh, he's there. But are you allowing him to be himself through you? Or do you have control of the situation? You've invited him to live in your house, but you told him how he should live in your house. Although it's his house. For some of you who have a mortgage thinking it's actually yours. No, it's the banks. But you feel like it's yours because you want to live like it's yours. Because it makes you feel better about paying them price every month. Saints, did you know that was part of your calling to live in such a way that doesn't collect the praises of men, but rather collects the affection and approval 
and please and the, and the pleasure of your father? Do you live at the great pleasure of your father? What is it that pleases your father? To allow him to have his way in your life. He might be your savior, but that doesn't mean he's your Lord. He might be your savior, the one who saved you from the wrath to come. But if he's not your Lord today, owner and controller of all that you are, your mind, your will and your emotions. Then he's not your Lord. Many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, but you might have knew me, but I didn't know you. Saints, when Jehu got the call, he went right to work because Jehu was what the world called reckless and is what the world needed. Second Kings chapter nine and verse 11. And when Jehu went out to his fellow officers, one of them asked him, is everything all right? Why did that maniac come to you? Isn't it funny, saints, how the world and even some of your closest friends defines real followers of God in your life? What are you doing around those crazy people? Why are you talking with them? Why are you hanging out with those maniacs? <laughs> what did that crazy man say? Uh, you know the man and the sort of things that he says, Jehu replied, verse 12. <laughs> He's like, look, if that's what you define him as, then sure. And then what do they say? Listen, no, 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 that's not true, they said. Tell us. Oh, my gosh. Wait, 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 wait. We didn't mean that he was really crazy. Just that the, the, the way that he follows God is crazy. I mean, we wouldn't follow him that way. <laughs> what way? We, we wouldn't follow God. You should follow God in our flavor. Since there's so many ways to follow God, I mean, there's just a narrow way, but whatever. <laughs> we wouldn't follow him in that way, Jehu. That's not how my denomination would do it. What way? Reckless. We wouldn't follow him in a reckless way. Then, then what way would you follow him? I don't know. I have to go ask my pastor. <laughs> Calculated with reserves. With a moderate dose of the Holy Ghost. All in, but not really all in. That way. Oh, oh, you mean that way. Jay was like, I don't know anything about that way in anything I do in my life. Now that I'm called by the Lord, that's not going to change. I'm going to follow the Lord in that way. Wow. You know, a little bit of control in our relationships is what keeps us comfortable. So that's what we do. Listen, I want to serve the Lord, but I want a little bit of control. Just 1% of control, Right. In, in, this, in this thing I call following the Lord because that's what keeps me comfortable. Isn't it funny that the same people that, who call you crazy or your friends crazy are the same ones who come around when their lives are falling apart? Yeah, Just take note of that. Put it in your, right, in your memory bank for a little bit and when it comes around, just remember that. So I've been in the kingdom for 23 years. I've learned a few things. Like men of God are not crazy. They're just courageous I said men of God are not courageous I'm sorry they're not crazy they're just courageous while the rest are just cowards who are being coddled by their gospel that they created to caress their carnal natures and this is the times in which you live in which call times of darkness Jehu said here is what he told me this is what the Lord says I anoint you king over Israel and so they quickly changed their position whoa wait a minute Wait a minute. 
They quickly took their clothes and they spread them out under his bare feet, right? Then they blew a trumpet and they said, Jehu's king! Jehu's king! Isn't that just like us? Isn't it? That man's anointed. That man's appointed. That man's called to lead us. You're a great man of God. Go get him, Jehu! Friends, isn't that part of the problem? Waiting and wanting someone else to fight your battles for you. This is why we have, some of us Christians like to stick around other Christians. We, if you call that person a radical Christian, that says something about you, not me. Because there's only one type of Christian. They're not radical. They're just Christian. And if you call them radical, that's the Lord telling you, you need to step up your game. And you're probably there because you think you're winning by proximity. But I can't fight your battle for you. Only you can. And I'm here to tell you today, there's a way to win it, and it's to be reckless. If someone else carries your cross, someone else is going to receive your crown, and that's not really something that you want to do. Saints, I'm not Jehu. We are Jehu. I'm not Jehu. We are Jehu. 1 John chapter 2, 27 says, we are God's anointed. doesn't say me is God's anointed. We are God's anointed. We are the sons that God's raising. To remove the reproach from our generation and replace it with a tribe who is marked by reckless abandonment to the will of God. Is that you this morning? But you know what? Even if you are perceived that way or you perceive me that way or anybody else that way, I cannot wait on you. Right? Harbonke said it the best. You pray about the will of God and I will run you over doing the will of God. Jehu didn't just drive reckless. He lived reckless. And it was just what that generation needed. Saints, this generation doesn't need your well-thought-out strategies. He doesn't need your conservative, predictable methods. Conservative, predictable by who? The enemy. Methods. He needs a people who are captivated with Jesus and recklessly abandoning everything until they see the will of God done in their life. What are we really doing if we get the world's approval? You won the whole world and you lost your own soul. Saints, when Jehu heard that he was a king in the eyes of the people and he heard the war cry coming from the shofar, he did not procrastinate like weak leaders do, nor did he vacillate like immature men do. He went to war because he knew that's what he was anointed for. He went to war because he knew that souls weighed in the balance. Souls weighed in the balance. Your family members are waiting to get saved when you get radical. Your family members are waiting to get saved when you get a little bit of recklessness in your life. Your families are getting saved when they actually start to believe that you've been transformed instead of just coasting in the kingdom as a good old boy just trying to just buy your way to heaven. That doesn't save anybody. Jesus didn't live that way and nor do we. 2 Kings 9, 17. And when the lookout standing on the towers in Jezreel, saw Jehu's troops approaching. He called out, I see some troops coming. Man, that's good news. You know why? There may have not been many like Jehu, but there's always a remnant in every generation. There's always a remnant in every generation. And every Jehu steps up, might start alone, but he won't finish that way. Get a horseman. Get a horseman, Jerome ordered. Uh, Jerome, Ar <laughs> Jerome that's, that's a different century. <laughs> Let's say Joram. So. 
This is soon to be Jehu's opposition. Send him to meet me and ask, do you come in peace? Do you come in shalom? Do you come in the divine order of the Lord? <laughs> Remember, he asked that. The horseman rode off and met Jehu and said, this is what the king says. Do you come in peace? What do you have to do with peace? Jehu replied, fall in line. What did Jesus tell us in Matthew 10? When you're going, when you're doing my will and you meet someone along the way and you greet them, shalom. And, they, and you find their lives in order in the will of God too. You say, come on, join me. Fall in line, let's go. Right? When you don't, knock the dust off of your feet. And move on. Wow. You need to learn when someone's place in your life is... And when it's over. And you know when it is? When they're doing the will of God. We know when it's over? When they're not. Some of you in here have recklessly abandoned even friendships because of the will of God. Don't you feel sad for that one minute? Don't you feel sad for that one minute? They will not be standing before King Jesus with you on the day that you will give account for the deeds well done in the body. And then lookout reported, the messenger has reached them, but he's not coming back. So the king sent out a second horseman. When he came to them, he said, what it, this is what the king says. Do you come in peace? Jehu replied, what do you have to do with peace? Fall in line. Get behind me. Satan. Every person who follows Jesus will be confronted with the same thing that Jehu was confronted with while marching forward to complete the will of God in his life. Someone other than the Bible, someone other than God's word, trying to define for you what peace looks like. Tell me you don't live in that generation. Tell me. This is not peace. That's peace. Jesus isn't your homeboy. He's your king. The lookout reported, he has reached them, but he hasn't come back either. Praise the Lord, he's winning some along the way. And you will too, when you make your stand. The driving is like that of Jehu, son of Nimshi. He drives like a reckless maniac. Saints, a normal Christian life is supposed to look reckless. Or you're not following Jesus. Because his looked reckless. What would you have said to him on the day that he said, I'm getting on that cross? Oh, don't tell me you would have said anything different because all fleed. Even though they had the keys of the kingdom in their hand. When Jesus walked on the planet, the religious right did not know what to do with him. So they crucified him. If your life is not questionable in this post-Christian society that you currently live in. You're probably not following him either. You're probably just following deeds, creeds, and some great man of God's method who died a long time ago who wouldn't appreciate you doing that. Saints Jehu was not looking for friends nor allies. He was looking for a gathering of those who simply wanted real biblical peace over what the current leadership and the current society had defined it as. Is that you this morning? Do you want the real thing? Or would you prefer... Almost real in a much prettier package. Verse 21, and hitch up my chariot, Jerome. <laughs> Ordered. 
This man's trying to expose the truth. And when it was hitched up, Jerem, king of Israel, and Ahiza, king of Judah, rode out, each in his own chariot, to meet Jehu. Oh, they were in for it. They met him at the plot of the, of the ground that had belonged to Naboth the Jezreelite. When Jerome, <laughs> I cannot, that's just what his name is going to be today. <laughs> Saw Jehu, he asked, have you come in peace, Jehu? Are you serious? We're standing on Naboth's vineyard, a plot of ground that was stolen from an innocent man and was murdered by Jezebel and Ahab because Ahab simply wanted what he had. You don't know anything about that, do you, Americans? Land that was stolen by the government's conquest, by the shedding of innocent blood. We know anything about that. Blood. The ground that had stuck innocent blood. Lives that were aborted before they were actually brought forth. The blood cries out against you, Jehu is saying. The ground's crying out. The blood from the ground is crying out against you. And you're going to stand right on it and tell me this is peace? This is not peace. The word of God tells you what peace is. You people keep telling me about peace. But this is not peace in the eyes of God. It makes me think of Jeremiah 6, 13. From the least to the greatest, all have begun, become greedy for gain. Check your economical status. You will realize that you are also in the same place. Prophets and priests, <clears throat> pastors alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wounds of my people as though they're not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there actually isn't no peace. Are, are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they don't even, they're not even ashamed at all. They don't even blush anymore. They have been transformed in the wrong direction. Their love has grown cold so they will fall among the fallen they will be brought down when i punish them says the lord for this is what the lord says stand at the crossroads and look open your eyes ask for the ancient past ask for the good way and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls but you said i will not walk in it i'm just gonna look at it but i'm not gonna walk in it for I have appointed you as watchmen over. I've appointed a watchman over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. Come on, Jehu. Listen to the sound of the trumpet. Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear you nations. You are the witnesses. Observe what will happen to them. Hear you earth. I am bringing disaster on the people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words. Friend, that will be true on the day that King Yeshua shows up. That is true now, and it will be true on the day that King Yeshua shows up. Many will not listen, but will you? What will you? Do you hear the sound of the trumpet this morning? Do you hear it? You say, Pastor, you speak way too loud. Friends, I'm blowing a trumpet because some of you are asleep in need of being awakened. What did Jesus teach us in Matthew 10? He said, go and preach. That means I'm not a preacher. We are preachers. We are preachers. Every single one of us in this place are called to preach. Preach what? The kingdom of heaven has come. 
The kingdom of heaven has come. Jesus is broke open away. Go and tell them there's a regime change at hand. Peace is being rightly defined right before our eyes. And it's time for them to fall in line. We have fallen in line. They must fall in line. The increase of the kingdom of God will not end. It is inevitable. What is not inevitable is it that you are part of it. Every man must come to the crossroads where he makes his choice. Will I continue living a life calling myself a Christian just trying to buy time until heaven? Will I continue living my life sitting on the sidelines or will I jump in and get in the fight? Will I continue to live a lie pretending that I have peace when my secret idolatry is eating my lunch behind the scenes? Jesus said, I give you peace that the world doesn't know how to give, nor do they know how to define it. Saints, Jehu was an anointed man of God. He felt that the peace of God or he felt the peace of God and he knew wherever he brought it would tear down the idolatry of men. If you have yet to recklessly abandon your life and you are still standing at the crossroads, and I counsel you to make your choice because it's the very thing that will unlock what Jesus purchased for you. How can you in peace, Jehu replied, as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel's around. He's talking to the men face to face and he's saying, you're not the problem. There's something behind you that's the problem. And I'm not going to stop with you. You're going to fall in line or going to get it removed. Because I'm going after her. Some of you might be thinking, what does reckless abandonment look like for my life? That's something that the spirit of God's going to have to reveal to you personally. But for Jehu, it looked like this. The removal of idolatry and the removal of witchcraft. How many of you know that's still a thing? That's prevalent in our generation and in the body of Christ, just like it was in the body of Israel. In your, in your Bible, idolatry is what, what you love in addition to God. I love God with all my heart. I have given my life to him, but I also love to be devoted to this, this, and this, which steals devotion from him. Idolatry. What is it? What is it, friends? What are the things that's, that's still... All right. Married men or soon to be married men. What are the things that you spend time in that takes up hours of your life, whether it's your phone or your screen time or whatever it is, right? Your work, all those other things that you could be spending time with the one you love. There's an opportunity for idolatry there. Idolatry. I love God, but I also love this. You could take out your phones right now and some of your phones are going to tell you how much time you spent on it this week. That'll tell you how much idolatry you got in your life. Is that too close to home? Witchcraft is control. If you got 1% of control in your relationship with King Jesus, then you have witchcraft in your life. Anybody got issues with control? I love you, Lord. You're sovereign over my life, except for there. Manipulation in any situation for personal benefits is witchcraft. 
<laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. Jehu says, how can there be any God-ordained shalom and peace, divine order with man and with God, when these things exist in our land? And how could you accommodate them? Fall in line. Verse 23, Jaron turned around and fled. And he called to Ahiza, treachery. Ahiza, Jehu is breaking the status quo. He's breaking the status quo. He's been reading Jeremiah or something. He's gone mantic. He's trying to dress our wounds. Treachery. Leave the band-aid on it. That hurts. Friends, when Jehu, verse 24 says, then Jehu drew his bow and he shot Jerome for a bad name. No, that's the wrong name, wrong generation. He shot him between the shoulders and the arrow pierced his heart and he slumped over and died in his own chariot. So how do you heal a spiritual leper that doesn't want to be healed? I guess you just put him in through correct, uh, direct contact with Jesus. Uh, that's for a different day. Jehu knew that if you were not part of the solution, you were part of the problem. As Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather, well, you scatter and you don't even know it. Saints in the kingdom, if you have not had to make difficult decisions, you have yet to advance the kingdom. At some point, those who want to be radically transformed into the likeness of Christ, is that you? Yeah. will have to sever relationships because they chose idolatry along the way when you chose to fall in line with what the Lord was doing. This is what it takes to win. Do you want to win? This is what it takes to win, and Jehu was not about to lose. When Jehu received the call of God on his life, he wasted no time. What is it that the Lord's speaking to you today when I speak, and you're like, I'm not really sure I like that guy or not, but he's moving something in my heart Right. And I do believe it's the Lord speaking to me, not this guy behind the mic. Right. What are those things that you're sitting on, but you're still waiting? And actually, instead of saying yes to them right now. Is it the salvation of your king? Is it the infilling of the spirit? Is it the moving of the gifts? Is it the will of God in your life? Is it a yes when you've been saying no? Is it some difficult relationship that you have to sever, put in line or put on the altar? What is it? 2 Kings 9, 1 through 13, Jehu is called by God, anointed by God and empowered by God. And that's all the permission he needed. You waiting for permission? You just got it. When Jehu came out of the room with the prophets, he was dripping with the anointing of God. When you get in the room and get along with what the Lord says about you, you'll come out dripping with the anointing of God too. When Jehu heard the trumpet sound, he knew it was time to abandon his carnal position for a heavenly one. Jehu was willing to carry his cross and receive his appointed crown, but Jehu knew it. He had to go get it. In 2 Kings 9, 14 through 29, Jehu showed us what reckless abandonment actually looks like. Jehu did not sit back and wait for trouble to come to him. Jehu was anointed by the prophetic Lineage of Elijah. You know what that means? Jehu was trouble. Jehu was trouble. Jehu was trouble and the kingdom of darkness took quick notice. Yeah. 
Saints, the first thing that every son of God who decides to finally live like Jesus lived will confront is a total abandonment to the will of God. And what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my life when I am called to be the one that makes peace in the middle of chaos? Will I yield to it or will it yield to me? Three times Jehu is confronted with someone else trying to tell him that all is well in the land when God said otherwise. You ever been there? You thought you were just doing your great. The word of the Lord comes and you're like, shoot, I think it's not as good as I thought. You're like, I love the Lord. Well, if you can hear his voice because he loves you and you belong to him. And he actually wants more for you than you're actually settling for. <laughs> Three times. And saints, if the blood in your veins are pumping this morning. You know, there's an all out warfare for your contentment. Am I wrong? Jesus, Jehu, he would have none of it. Do you? Do you yield to the warfare against your contentment or will you have none of it? Jehu was not only reckless in the way that he drove his chariot. Jehu was relentless in his pursuit for real peace. Jehu was relentless in his completing the mission of God that God called him to. And he wasn't about to let anybody redefine what God had already told him was. Jehu not only stayed the course, he added a few other brave men in the kingdom alongside of him, praise God. But Jehu was not a man who was willing to rest on his accomplishments, are you? Some of my greatest failures have come on the other side a minute after my greatest accomplishments. 2 Kings 9.30 says this, Then Jehu went to Jezebel, and when Jezebel heard about this, she put on her makeup and prettied herself, arranged her hair, and looked out the window. And Jehu entered the gate where she asked, <laughs> You come in peace, son of Zimri, murder of your master. No, Jezebel. Toxic unity isn't, isn't unity at all. I have come in the name of the Lord to evict the renters ruling the earth. You're sitting on my father's property. Jehu played no games. Jehu was resolute. Jehu was steadfast and under the full inspiration of the spirit of God. The second thing Jehu did that every one of you must do if you want to win. Do you want to win? Is never negotiate with the enemy. He refused to negotiate with the enemy. If God sent you to preach, then you preach the gospel. If God sent you to preach, and he did, you preach the gospel. If God sent you to deliver justice, you deliver justice. If God sent you to bring affection, then you bring affection. Romans 9.21 says, Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay of pottery, one for special purposes and another for common use? What if God, although, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom are called? What? Saints, in the kingdom of God, you will be used for good news and for bad news. 
but you don't have the right to change the message. I, I want to be a vessel for affection and good news and salvation every day of my life. But I gave away my rights. I get to say what the Lord wants to say. I don't know who's standing in front of me and what's going on inside their heart. That's the Lord to judge. You must not water down a difficult word or soften what God has meant to be hard. Any of you ever do that? You give someone a, a difficult word and then a little bit extra on the end to kind of like, I knew that was hard, so I softened a little bit. Don't do that. We must hate what God hates and love what he loves, the Bible says. We must not be more compassionate than God is compassionate about that situation. Did you know that? Nor must we deliver judgments when it calls for mercy. We must be recklessly abandoned to our own agenda and radically surrendered to his. Look at verse 32. He looked up at the window and he called out, who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked down at him. Throw her down, Jehu said. So they threw her down and some of her blood splattered on the wall and all the horses trampled her underfoot. Saying PG, sorry. Jehu went and he's like, let's go bury her and put her away. That's not what it says. Jehu just went to go eat some dinner. Jehu went in, he ate and he drank. Take care of that cursed woman, he said. Bury her, for she was a king's daughter, man of honor. But he wasn't affected. Saints, when you've truly surrendered your life to the will of God, you will be able to accomplish the most difficult things. Because you won't be ruled by your emotions anymore. They will serve you, not enslave you. You will be able to administer justice and it will not wreck the rest of your day. Anybody been there? You'll be able to like have someone spit on you, insult you, call you nasty things, even in your own home and just go sit down and have dinner. <laughs> with your family and not take that into that y'all yeah. know what i'm talking about oh i you walk in man what's wrong with you i had a bad day da 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 wah 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 called the wambulance right all of a sudden your whole family is now infected by what you brought in right you want to be stronger now you want to be jehu right this person spit on me talked about me, did this funky thing to me, right? And I walk into my door, I'm like, man, praise God, I'm so glad to see the ones I love. And they're like, me too, awesome. Yeah, I'm leaving that garbage outside the door. Jehu was able to do that, are you? It's real peace. It's contentment. Do you remember one of the first encounters with God that Joshua had? We're wrapping up this message, don't you worry, but I told you I was gonna give you a full course meal today. Joshua 5.13 says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. There we go with those swords again. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither. Neither, he replied. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. So Joshua falls face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does you does the Lord have for his servant? Take off your shoes, Joshua. You're on holy ground. You're on holy ground. 
Saints, you'll be on holy ground every time that you have to make the choice whether you're going to stand for the word or stand for the one standing in front of you. Stand for the word, right, or stand for your own emotions. Stand for the word and do the will of God. You yourself fall in line and they can fall in line too or you can just DCD and move on. One of the most misunderstood things about the word of God is that every believer, that every believer must encounter is it does not change for you. And when we understand this, we'll stop getting, we'll, st we'll stop shooting the messengers. Right? Because they don't, because their message doesn't fit our flesh. The word of God is holy. It's a lion. That means you, you can just let it out or to do what it does. And you need not try to cage it. See, saints, Jehu understood the unchanging nature of God's word. Jehu understood that his life was not his own. Jehu understood what it took to win. Do you want to win? And Jehu was not about to let God's glory be denied. Are you? Verse 35. But when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull, her feet and her hands. Somebody say that's nasty. They went back and they told Jehu, who said, this is what the word of the Lord said through the prophet Elijah. On the plot of ground of Jezebel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like dung on the ground in the plot at Jezebel, so that no one will be able to say this was even her. She gone. Saints, there wasn't any amount of makeup that was going to make Jezebel's demise any prettier and I believe that if we will stop trying to shelter ourselves from the true nature of what the end of sin looks like then we will begin to feel the liberating power of the gospel what am I saying to you I'm saying we dumb it down and when we dumb down sin when we actually get liberated from it wasn't that big a deal it wasn't that big a deal because I wasn't really that Wretched in the first place. Saints, when you understood stand what you were or the situation that you were in and that you were liberated from that or can be liberated from that, all of a sudden some happiness comes out of somewhere you didn't even see because you're like, whoa, wait, what? When you took off the makeup and looked in the mirror like, whoo, Jezebel had to put a lot of makeup on. I'm going to tell you that right now. She got seven layers. And it still didn't completely cover her garbage because Jehu could see through it because she was ugly inside, although she might have been beautiful on the outside. How reckless is your love of, for God? How reckless? Those who recklessly abandon their lives for the will of God no longer live for themselves. Man, we love to say it, but do we really do it? They live for those coming after them. Isn't that what Jesus did? Ransomed his life for many. What does that even mean? Ransomed, he leveraged his life so that other people can have it. Is that the way we live, saints? With a life ransomed for many? Look at what happened in 2 Kings 10, 1 as we start to wind this down. Now there were in Samaria 70 sons of the house of Ahab. The army of Ahab and Jezebel went down. Ahab went down. Jezebel went down. 
Now the sons, what they produced, are about to go down. What do you think Jehu did with them? Go get every head of 70 sons of the house and bring them to me. And guess what happened? That's exactly what happened. It's not good enough just to take care of the source. You got to get to the root of the matter and you got to get to the things that it reproduced too. He removed them from the planet. Saints, if a little leaven leavens the whole loaf, how about 70 leavens? Jehu knew something that Jesus taught us later. Jehu was not just anointed to remove the wicked dynasty. He had a generational ministry. He was anointed to replace it with a godly one. Every man of God, saints, has the ministry of reconciliation, your Bible says. If God calls you to remove the problem, it's because he knows that you're a solution to it. Ahab and Jezebel produced nothing but impotent sons who, who were compromised, weak-willed men with poor leadership. Jehu was sent by God to replace it with men and women who would reproduce the will of God and live recklessly abandoned and on display with a Holy Ghost grit to replace it. Is that you, saints? Is that you? Is that you? Jehu is dead. That's the truth, but you're not. Jehu did the will of God in his generation, but will you? 2 Kings 10, 18 says, Then Jehu brought all the people together, and he said to them, Now, finally, we got to the root of the problem. The problem wasn't those in leadership. The problem wasn't those who were administering. Just like we always blame everything on the devil. The devil is a poster child for darkness. Devil's not the problem. The darkness that empowers him is. You got that? When Jehu brought all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. What was the real issue? What they worshiped. Jehu will serve him a lot. You're like, oh no. Now summon all the prophets of Baal and all his servants and all of his priests. Get all the pastors out. Let's talk about this. See that no one is missing because I am going to hold a great sacrifice to Baal. Anyone who fails to come will no longer live. But Jehu was acting deceptively in order to destroy the servants of Baal. <laughs> Some things are a little more allowed in wartime than are in peace. A little bait and switch, getting a little bit of their own medicine. I want to remind you of something. First Kings 20, 11, we quote here all the time. One who puts on his armor should not boast like the one who takes it off. Jehu knew this, right? It's not the same to start the war. You must finish it. Jehu understood it was not okay to deal with the leadership. Jehu understood it was, it was not okay to deal with Ahab and Jezebel only. Jehu understood that it was not just okay to deal with what it produced. Jehu knew that he had to deal with what, where the source was, what they were worshiping, where the, where the power was coming from. And Baal, that was it. Who knew what God knew? They weren't the problem. The things in their heart that they served were the problem. Reckless abandonment starts with your heart and ends with their salvation and their liberation. Reckless abandonment starts with your heart and ends with their salvation and their liberation. And guess what? When it starts there, you'll get some too. Romans 8 literally tells us that the creation is waiting 
in an eager expectation for the sons of God to step up and be who they're called to be and to live like Jesus. Saints, I want to remind you, Baal represented fertility, vitality, and increase. Fertility, vitality, and increase. Every one of you have a daily encounter with those things. So if I had a child, I would, I would pray to Baal that he give me a good child. Yahweh gave me a child. Thank you, Yahweh, for the child. Then I'd take him to Baal and say, could you make him good? If I had no children, I blamed Yahweh, and I went to Baal and said, could you open my womb? If I was a man, I would seek Baal for an increase of stamina, and every other thing men run after that they think they need to get just a little bit better than what they already have, if you know what I mean, men. If I was a farmer, I would seek Baal to increase the crop that Yahweh gave me. Baal represented increase. Do you encounter that at any time, saints? Baal was the God of increase. Where do you run for your increase? I have this, but I need more of this. Do you feel that contention any day? Well, so did Israel, and she gave in to it. Who is the God of increase, saints? Yahweh, not Baal. When God gives you something, do you then find yourself full of anxiety about losing it? Finally, I got this. Why do I feel like now I got to work to hold on to it and keep it? Because you're not, you're not, he's not Lord of increase or your decrease. Something else is. When God gives you something to do, do you then try to maintain it in your own strength or by your own means? That ain't even Baal, that's you. But the next step is Baal. This seems so small, but it's exactly the problem that we must deal with. At this time, in this setting, and the reason that I brought you these passages this morning, if Yahweh gave me money, I would thank him for it, and then I would seek bail for the increase. Are you Christ-like or Baal-like? If Baal increased what Yahweh gave me, then I could have peace. But if not, I would not. So then although God provided for me, something else sustained and controlled my peace. So then although God provided for me, something else sustained my peace. And if your peace is not sustainable, then Yahweh is not the Lord of your peace. Friends, that is something that every man must go to war with. Or you will live like a slave in the kingdom, although you own the whole thing. The reason Yeshua brought his disciples to the gates of hell was so after a time they would understand how powerful just the keys to the kingdom were. And he knew that that intimidation and opposition would be the one that tried to seduce them. And King Yeshua brought them face to face with it and said, it will not prevail, you will. 
The question to you today is, are you going to live in such a way? Are you going to get to the root of the matter in your life and stop living short of the victory of God? Are you going to stand up and know that you are anointed instead of knowing that you're just a son of God, but that you know that you are anointed son of God? Do you know that you weren't saved just for Yahweh to show off? You were saved for a purpose, saved for a mission, saved for this generation. Since this generation's compromise will become the next generation's captivity. Where you compromise, your children will be captive to what you've compromised to. You see, that doesn't bother you at all if you're just living for yourself. But it disturbs you when you understand that this thing's not about you, it's about those coming after you. To those who call themselves friends of God, what did he say the, the greatest thing that a friend could do? Just lay down his life for another. Second Kings 1030. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab the most difficult things and choices you'd have to make in life. And what I have had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne to the fourth generation. You don't understand. But what you do right now affects the next generation. What the Lord started in you, your sons will finish. What the Lord has started in you may not see completion in your life. So you must be like Jehu and finish the race. Instead of waiting for the fruit to be right in front of your eyes. You're the seed. Every seed must die in order to see its fruit come forth. That means you may or may not see what the Lord's trying to get out of your life. Are you willing? What are you fighting for, saints? We said it. 2 Timothy 3.1. Right back where we started. Moreover, understand this. That in the last days, there'll be trying times. People will be self-loving, money-loving, proud, arrogant, all kind of other things. It'll just be a form without the power. <laughs> Did you see that? You see how he left that at the end? The form without the power looks like those things. You thought that was like, oh, that's the lost people. And then the Christians he's not talking about. No, 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 no. He's always dealing with in-house issues. He's saying, my house in the last days will look like this and they will call this peace when there is no peace. So let me help you on the last slide for tonight. This is not tonight, today. I can preach till tonight. <laughs> Obviously. Give me that last one, John, if there is a last one. What does reckless abandonment actually look like? A reckless pursuit in the times in which you live that are self-loving. You can go back. In the times that we live that are self-loving, 
Loving others more than yourself. That's reckless. Not the one. Loving others, not the ones that you love. The ones that are unlovable. The ones that you wouldn't choose. The ones that he says. The Lord comes to Jehu and he did not. He did not negotiate well like Jonah. Like, I don't want to go there. I don't like those people. Jehu's like, I go. I didn't ask you what they look like, what they sound like, what they feel like. I'm going to love them like you love them. Right? I'm going to recklessly pursue them. I'm going to abandon everything that I am so that they might have your will, O Lord. Self-loving, loving others as myself, loving others more than myself. In a time when we live where People are loving money than other things. Love giving away my money? That's reckless. That's reckless. Talk to Christians about everything except for their money. Soften that conversation a little bit. No, your money belongs to King Jesus. Why do I know that? Because you're going to see him pretty soon. And you're not. He's not going to say, hey, listen, you took me too seriously. Proud. They're going to be proud. Friends, you've got to find pleasure in the Lord's achievement, not your own. Because your achievements will come and they will go, but they will not sustain you. In a time when men are arrogant, you need to only care about the word being seen as right, not you. Anybody here love to be right? Me too. But you've got to learn to be wrong when you're right wrong insulting speak victorious life-giving speech at all times boy can we grow in that one right you said i mean i just sat through a, a time and i didn't feel like that was life-giving speech let it produce its fruit and you tell me if it is next one a reckless pursuit You are right. Keep going. Disobedient to parents. That doesn't happen in our generation. <laughs> Honoring them for what has been done instead of what has not. How many of you have a perspective on your parents that's a little bit twisted because you know how they lived or how they raised you? And so it now governs how you interact with them, although they brought you to life, even if it was wicked carry out to get you here instead you could just love them for what they were instead of hate them for what they're not ungrateful in a generation that is ungrateful you have to learn to crucify your sense of entitlement I should be getting this this is what is this is what is owed to me I mean, King Jesus died for it. <laughs> Unholy. We must be radically set apart at all times. Holy means set apart. Yeah. Set apart, set apart, set apart. You're asking to be filled with the spirit of God, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of being set apart for his good use. That doesn't mean be set apart for Sunday mornings. That means be set apart for every morning. Heartless. A heartless generation needs men and women that are full of heart in a cold world. Man, it's hard to love the unlovable. 
But not when you recklessly abandon your life to King Yeshua and realize that he's doing that to you. And if you're honest with yourself, you're hard to love on days too. Unappeasable. Being content with all things is a reckless, uh, takes a reckless abandonment. Because if not, you're only going to be content in some things. That's interesting. Slanderous. <laughs> yeah, some of us live that more than others. In a generation that is slanderous, a reckless pursuit looks like speaking reconciliation, restoration, and preservation of hope at all times. You know what that looks like? It looks like hopeless situations. Hopeless situations. In a, how many people you have in your mind that are just too far gone now? That's it. That's it. They're too far gone. They're done in my life. Remember I said you need to know when somebody's place in your life is and when it's not? You also need to know that you're not the savior. He is. But you're the messenger. A generation that is uncontrolled needs a reckless pursuit of people who are being fully surrendered to the word of God and the leading of the spirit. The word of God and the leading of the spirit. Not just the leading of the spirit. You need to open your Bible, get you a paper one, fall in love with it, and get a relationship with it so that it might be hidden in your heart. Brutal. This was a funny one for me because I had to really pray about that. Because I'm like, well, just just be gentle and soft. But that's not a requirement for all times. What is, Jesus said, was shrewd and innocent. That means sharp, but with integrity. You are to be clear and direct and sharp with the word of God, like Jehu was, but with integrity. You know what integrity means? Don't say anything that you're not living. Don't preach what you're not living. Live it, then say it. Because anything else is brutality and hateful of God, of good. So you must be an activist of what is righteous. How many of you like those people who get out there and they're like, yeah, abortion, all these other things, right? And then you're like, oh man, those are maniacs. Really? Well, at least they're doing something in reckless abandonment with their life while we sit and come and learn about it in something we call a church. There should be a last one. <laughs> Treacherous. Faithful to your commitments, even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. Is that you? Are you faithful to your commitments, even when they hurt? There are three more. Headstrong. Willing to be wronged in the small matters for the sake of of the larger stake. Swollen with conceit. A generation that's swollen with conceit needs men and women to be satisfied with who God calls you to be in his kingdom instead of wanting to be some other man of God, some other woman of God. And the last one, <laughs> y'all know this one very well. Loving pleasure rather than loving God. Listen, I'm going to tell you, people who actually do things in the kingdom with their faith are the ones who fall subject to this one the most because there's pain in the offering. And, and what, what's a good medicine for pain? Pleasure. And it's justified because you did so well. 
but you will have authority over that when you are addicted to the presence of God. And I use that word heavily, addicted, addicted. Like a person who is addicted to crack, you are addicted to King Yeshua. You can call me what you want. I hope you call me reckless because I am addicted to King Yeshua for 23 years now. I'm addicted to him and it has caused my life to look reckless. And he has asked me from day one to recklessly abandon this world and everything it has to offer. Every dollar that can come to me, every situation that'll benefit me, everything that might benefit this particular flesh, this life is abandoned for the will of God. And on the day he comes, and the clouds scroll back is the day I'll finally receive my reward. Other than that, any other thing that this world can give me is not worth it. Stand with me this morning. I want to let you sit on these words for a minute. I'm an altar call, altar call guy because the word demands a response. But what good does it do for a generation that are always seduced by the latest music or the best orators in a moment but never do anything when they walk out those doors? What good does that do? Nothing. It's part of the problem not the solution. And so, Father, I pray over my brothers and sisters right now that you would impart courage to them to not only want to do your will and do your will in a moment, but to commit to do it for a lifetime. Father, I ask in my brothers and sisters today, Lord God, as you are stirring their heart to what a radical abandonment to you looks like, that those things that you brought to their mind by the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would have courage to say yes to whatever it is, whatever the cost, because you are worth it. You are worth it. Every confrontation that it causes, every conflict, every obstacle, Lord God, that stands in our way, may we be like Jehu, who simply says, fall in line. I will not quit. I will not stop and I will not give up nor give in until... I see the will of God done in my life. Father, I do pray, Lord God, for the spirit, that same spirit that filled Jehu that came from you, Lord God, to fill these people in this house, that we would have a, a, a reckless, Lord God, tribe, a reckless people that would see reformation in our land, that would see reformation in our lives, that would stop being so dignified, Lord God, that would dance in the streets like David and run towards the goal like Jehu until we magnify King Yeshua right here in this place. So, Father, we love you and we love each other recklessly. We love you recklessly. Father, teach us what that means beyond what this man could have spoken today. 
We love you, mighty God. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.